Shalom, and welcome to Heretics Standing at Sinai, a podcast for those in or adjacent to the Jewish community who are searching for a place to deepen their spirituality without sacrificing their rationality. I am Rabbi J. Tel Rav, and each week we will have a conversation about the new ways to exist in the world as an intentional presence and as a way of making our lives mean something. Whether you've been exploring Jewish spirituality for years or this is your first time considering it, we're glad you're here. I'm joined this week for our first actual conversation by Grant Callen, who is my friend and my cheruta, and has been studying with me now each week. Uh, he just reminded me for four years almost to the day. It was yesterday that marked our four-year anniversary. We've been studying texts on Jewish spirituality. We've read J. Michelson, Art Green, Hillel Zeitlin, and the best part of Chavruta study has worked its magic on us, uh, and we've been able to really understand each other and ourselves better because of the relationship. We've been inspired by the other's ideas and perspectives, and I think I speak for both of us, Grant, when I say that we've treasured the time that we've spent together and the depth of the relationship that has been created as a result. Out of this process, we've also been motivated to organize different Sinai circles to bring others along in the conversation about spirituality and Judaism, and other outlets for spiritual expression have begun to pop up at Temple Sinai to provide access to others. So I'll say welcome to you, Grant, and uh, I thought I would just open it up by asking you the question, uh, generally, would you share a few thoughts about your own spiritual path and what you've been thinking about lately? Oh, good afternoon, Jay. Uh, it would be my pleasure. Uh, as you noted, we've been on this journey for four years, uh, and I think Julie said it just a while ago, when we started this four years ago, little did I know, we know, that what this, this would bring to us, and this study has been a constant in my life for the last four years. Uh, the trip has gone from who is God? What is God? Trying to figure that out to what is Judaism? What does it mean to me? Uh, and it's something that's with with me constantly in, in one way or another. I look forward to the tradition of services and Friday night services. For me, it's a place for gratitude. I've achieved a deeper understanding of, I think, of why we're here, why I'm here, and, and sort of where I'm going. It just keeps unfolding each day. I'll have a thought here, a thought there. Uh, when we exchanged text last night, I went back into uh, reading Open Secrets. And just again, it was just sort of all new. It was just a little deeper, a different vision. So you said that you've, uh, over the years, focused on what is God, what is Judaism, what is the purpose of tradition and your place in the universe. Are you able to to focus in on one area of thought that you've found yourself spending a lot of time lately? Resolving the concept, not the word God. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful word. And the other night I looked, I was reading uh, Daniel Matt. God in the Big Bang, and he said, God, he quotes, God is the name I give 
to the existence of all of it. And I reconnect with that. That is my center to realize that it really is all one. You don't, you have to remind yourself almost on a daily basis. It's just sort of a sweet little touch point. We will return to that idea a lot over the course of this podcast series, but what you just described could be summarized by the expression non-dual Judaism, or sometimes monism, uh, or pantheism, panentheism, all of which are, are at the core of Judaism and have been for centuries. Um, and so listeners can continue listening for that. I also will put um, links to the books that we might mention today uh, down at the bottom of the transcript of today's uh, conversation, if anyone wants to follow up on things like Daniel Matt's book. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Well, uh, last week we heard about the introduction to Open Secrets by Rami Shapiro. And as we explained then, it's a collection of fictitious letters that were written by a supposed Hasidic rabbi in Europe to a student of his who'd moved to the New World of America. And each week we're going to read another letter and discuss the content and the ideas that are put forth. This week, we're moving on into the first of the actual letters, and it's titled An Invitation. So before we get to the text, Grant, as you and I have done every week for the last four years, we're going to begin with a bracha, uh, the, the words over not just studying Torah and not just learning Torah, but with engaging it. La'asok is to, uh, to be affected by, to let them work their magic on you. Uh, so those of you uh, at home listening can either recite it along with us, or you can simply offer an amen. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav, v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, sovereign of the universe, who commands us and gives us the blessing of engaging with words of Torah. So here is the letter called an invitation. My dearest Aaron Herschel, a letter arrives from me from the United States of America. You can imagine the excitement all over our village. Who does Yerachmiel ben Yisrael know in America? I myself could not imagine who would write me from such a place. And when I opened the letter and discovered it was from you, Gewalt, what joy! You were a good student, Hershela. Not the best, but good. I'm honored that you've chosen to continue your studies with me. It will be a challenge, not simply because of the distance, but because of the message. You ask difficult questions, and I prefer the simplest answers. The more words, the easier it is to avoid saying anything. My teaching is not, how might I say this delicately, normative. While I believe with all my heart in God, Torah, and Israel, I do not understand these as my teachers, as my peers would have me do. What I teach is not, God forbid, heresy, but neither is it mainstream. My teaching is simple. I work hard to keep it that way. It's easy to fool a person who knows little with teachings that say much. I am not a complicated man and do not wish to appear as one. I am simple, and so my Judaism 
is simple. So simple, in fact, that it need not be taken on faith, but can be tested by anyone who wishes to know its validity. My Judaism is not rich in halachic nuances. Those are legalistic details. I admit to not being the greatest student of the Talmud and codes. I admit to dreaming while my peers were cracking their heads on Mishnah and Gemara. Those are the parts of the Talmud. I learned enough to get by. Isn't that a horrible thing for a rabbi to say? I'm not even average, but a bit below. I should be ashamed. But what can I say? I am not. Whenever I was asked to rule on a point of law, I was blessed with colleagues to whom I could send the questioner, why offer second best when the best is close at hand? It is the heart, not of halakha, Jewish law, that interests me, and I confess that I'm not really concerned with the details of tradition. Many would say I'm not a good Jew, God forfend. But if a good Jew is one scrupulous with the law, then they're right. Having said that, let me add this. It may be just what you in America need is not a good Jew, but a bad one like me. From what I hear about America, it is not so kosher a place that everyone is running to the Rebbe to check a chicken's worthiness to be eaten. Me, I would rather you leave the bird alone. Perhaps we'll talk about diet and kashrut, Jewish dietary laws, another time. All I mean to tell you is that my Judaism seeks only the heart of the teaching and the essence of the practice and leaves the details to others. I'm not opposed to them. I simply am not drawn to them. My Judaism is not of one camp or another. I'm bored by labels. I owe allegiance only to God, Torah, and Israel. Let others debate and denounce. I haven't the mind for the first nor the stomach for the second. All I want is to be left alone to my study, my teaching, and my prayers. And my letters to you, my dear friend, I look forward to this exchange. The chance to continue our studies is a blessing to me, and I hope to you. I will ask one thing further of you. Do not destroy these letters. I head no yeshiva, a school of learning. I've written no books, and I have chosen to work with so very students that these letters may be my only legacy. I've never felt a need to have my thoughts outlive the mind that thinks them. And still, I believe that the deepest teaching takes place in the face-to-face -face exchange of teacher and student. But you and I are not permitted this luxury. And something tells me that our situation will not be unique. There will come a time soon when our people will be ignorant of our teachings and confused about who they are. They will be troubled. And like the simple son from the Passover Haggadah, they will not even know what to ask. Perhaps you will be their voice, raising their questions that they may read my answers when the time arises. But that is out of our hands. All we can do is learn from each other. I eagerly await your next letter. Signed, Bishalom, in peace. So, 
That's the whole letter. And I want to start with the fact that Yerachmiel, in his uh, comment, uses the word heresy, which obviously is central to this podcast. It's in the title. Uh, And his opening claim is that he's not a heretic. But I want to remind us of the conversation we had last week and think about that word differently, having J. Michelson's explanation in our pocket. Uh, J. Michelson reminds us that heretic means to choose, and to choose intentionally. And so by that definition, Rabbi Yerachmiel is absolutely a heretic, in that he believed deeply in something contrary to what others would have as normative. I just think that that's important for us to keep reminding ourselves. It's not important that we believe along the same lines that others uh, project upon us or that we think are projected upon us. And now I want to just turn us to the next comment he made uh, when he said, the more words, the easier it is to avoid saying anything. Isn't that so true? We fill the space with words. There are so many that uh, obfuscate and, and distract us from what is at the core. As I think about my high holiday sermons, uh, often what I want to say is pretty straightforward, uh, and yet there are so many words that I use to try to to bring it all together for people. Uh, and how often we make Judaism overcomplicated with rules and details and distractions. Uh, you said you sort of grew up and uh, and 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 did not have a whole lot of those rules and details a part of your upbringing, Grant, uh, right? Right. Exactly. So not having, you know, not having that, that, that Jewish upbringing, uh, it has allowed me through the learning to sort of work through that and understand it from, from maybe a, a different dam, a standpoint internally, what it means, the, you know, the, the goodness of it, uh, stripped of, all the rules like don't mix meat and cheese, you know, and all all the strict adherence, and the writing and the liturgy speaks to me, speaks to me differently because of that. It's not like God doing this or you know that happening. Recently, I was thinking about the Shabbat bag program, and we sing Shalom Aleichem every Shabbat about the ministering angels. To me, that attaches to that program, that going into the hospital, to just walk in and simply say, Shabbat Shalom. I don't know whether listeners can hear it in your voice, but you're getting emotional. And I've come to to know that as a part of your experience with this material, that it touches you so deeply that the emotion comes pouring out, which is the most beautiful expression of the essence of what we're doing here. Uh, You'd said at the beginning that uh, you've been thinking about the word God. And I think that's a great example of a word which is imbued with, pumped full of all kinds of baggage, all kinds of imagery based on biblical stories. And, and kids in, in kindergarten through their bar mitzvah are being taught stories about a very specific notion of God, an image that, that as we grow into our rationality, uh, comes in conflict with our experience of the world. And, um, and what I hear you saying is that um, having not grown up in that, in that strict delivery of material, 
you didn't really have to unlearn all of that. You started with a bit of an advantage spiritually in that you could approach God where you were, as you were, uh, and who you were. Yeah, yes, like you said, I had had no learning, and four and a half years ago in Israel, I remember standing at the wall saying, okay, what am I doing here? And you and Tai Tai were behind me, and he was asking you about praying, and you said, I don't look at it that way, but something to that effect. That's when I decided, and it took me another six months, to walk into your office and say, I want to explore this. Hmm. Something was speaking to me. And the, the beauty that I find in it, the personal satisfaction, <clears throat> it's really, I think we've talked about it before, it's almost difficult to describe. That's a great segue to Yerachmiel's next point, which is that uh, his Judaism is so simple that nobody even needs to take it on faith. You can know it through your own experience, which is a creative um, expression of what we talked about last week, which is perennial wisdom. One of the tenets of perennial wisdom is that the individual can know through his own experience or her own experience uh, what is true. And your, your day at the Kotel four and a half years ago uh, triggered some experiential truth. And it took time. It's going to take the rest of your life to understand what that means and what it is and what to do with it. But nobody needed to stand next to you and say, Grant, here's what you need to know is true about this. Your experience of the moment told you much clearer than anything else could have what is true. That's a really important concept. I think we should all hold on to our our intuitive notion of what is true. All right, so this is a big issue and, and one that I want to make sure we return to over and over again. Uh, Rabbi Yerachmiel says that he seeks the heart of the teaching and the essence of the practice. So this is, I think, for, for a lot of modern progressive Jews, an essential question that they may or may not be asking, but that is, what is at the core, the heart of Judaism? When you peel away the stuff that gets in the way or distracts us, uh, what do you think is at the, the very core, Grant? What's down there in, the, in the, the center? The point that rings true to me is was Rabbi Kiva. I think he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It really boils down to that. That... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything will fall into place. But that is surrounded by so much in the world we live in to get to that essence and to, you know, to stay true to that. It is so incredibly beautiful when you can touch it, not touch it, experience it. Let me see if I can put that in a, a, a little bit different frame, because I, I love where you took us, and I think a lot of people will relate to that. First of all, just a quick correction, two corrections. Um, it was Rabbi Hillel, and um, his expression of that golden rule was in the negative. He said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Yeah. Um, and then he said what, almost exactly what you did, which is, all the rest is commentary. Uh, now go and learn it. But what's at the core of that is also part of that perennial wisdom. Uh, and that is, 
if you know that it's unpleasant for you, then how can it possibly be different for the other sitting opposite you? So do unto others, you know, it's the same expression. It is to say that I am not the center of the universe and neither are you, but together we are the center of the universe. And so that essence, I, I couldn't agree more. I've got nothing to add to your, your description of the core message of Judaism, um, that you are here and so is she and so are they. And so you've got a duty to live to your highest, which includes them. I, I love that, Grant. Let's, uh, let's go on a little bit more. So here I want to focus on how Yerachmiel says that, um, that his focus is not so much on the, the law, that there are others who find that to be a meaningful expression of their Judaism. And if, uh, if you need answers on that, you should go talk to them. Uh, I resonate with this because I too was not, uh, I was not overly focused on the, the work we did in seminary on halacha and the, the, the cracking of Talmud. But I, I think it's important that Yerachmiel confidently acknowledges who he is, um, and he refuses to accept shame about the fact that with a title of rabbi, you might expect this of me, but if you're disappointed in what I actually am, that's on you. I'm, I, I'm not going to take that. Uh, and I, I think just starting with Judaism, I think that's how a lot of us feel today, as though what we believe is somehow incongruous with what Judaism expects of us. Uh, I, I find myself in the words and the letters of Rabbi Yerachmiel. And so I bring this format to listeners because I, I think I'm not alone. Uh, so many have said to me that the God of the Bible, that angry God of war who is short-tempered and vengeful and exists through manipulation of the natural laws of the universe, that that God doesn't speak to them. And yet, that's the only image, really, that's made available to us in the pages of the prayer book and in the stories of our ancestors. Uh, and so I think it's important for, for Reb Yerachmiel's words of, uh, of reassurance, this is who I am, take me as I am, are really important. I'll come back to you now and, and ask you the question, what do you remember about growing up in Judaism? You've said that you weren't part of an observant household. And, but you grew up knowing you were a Jew. So talk to me about which elements um, made their mark on you and what you knew it was. What, what did it mean to be a Jew? Not much until just, hmm. quite honestly, and I think we've touched on this, but not much until... You know, after our daughter was religious school age, and we actually joined the synagogue, my parents didn't belong to the synagogue. We didn't belong to the synagogue for a very short time. I went to high holy day services maybe a few times in my youth, and sort of remembering, yeah, I, this is strange to me, you know, quite honestly. Uh, and... I guess as it progressed, I mean, there, there wasn't that much of my youth. It really didn't start until my, until my adulthood. 
So you really didn't have the sense that you were somehow a bad Jew. Uh, no, there was there was, was no a pressure. Yeah, yeah a non, well, almost. Yeah, uh, no, no, I take that back. Not almost. You were not a non-Jew. You were an unconnected, um, non-practicing, perhaps Jew. Yeah, uh, I mean, my 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 aunts and uncles were Jewish, uh-huh. uh, very secular. Uh-huh. You know, to the extent that I was, you know, exposed to them. Uh, you know, went to the occasional bar mitzvah. I didn't. I didn't become bar mitzvah until I was thirty-seven. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too that we can take this this message that Yerachmiel gives us about himself as rabbi, and we can extend it to the experience of being a part of any society. And I was thinking about the pressure uh, that he might have felt in his yeshiva days to be a learned Talmud scholar that he was able to push off. In comparison to the pressure that um, that kids today, through their education, might feel uh, to be um, the best athlete, or the best looking kid, or the smartest, or the richest, or the you know fill in the blank, but the the pressures that are foisted on us by the the messaging of of our culture are enormous and. Does it require a person to grow to a state of maturity for them to be able to say, I feel no shame about who I am. I'm proud of this. This is this is me. I gave a sermon years ago at Temple Sinai. I think I called it Reform Pride. And it was about, as a progressive Jewish community, the refusal to let any other part of the Jewish world send us messages that we internalize about whether we are a good Jew or not. I think it's powerful that Rabbi Rachmiel says, you know, maybe I'm not a good Jew by those definitions, but maybe that's exactly who we need. Uh, and therein lies my encouragement to everybody listening that um, heresy, in the sense that we've defined it, is really important. It says, I enter this process as I am, and you, um, you have to accept that, which is the Jewish community that I want to be a part of. Something that just struck me is... I was uncomfortable when you asked me that question, you know, about my childhood and exposure to Judaism, and maybe my 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 seeking this this journey the last four years is a mourning, an active mourning of what I didn't get, but what I've learned sort of balances that out. That I couldn't get it then. But it's grown now. I um I want to uh, I want to remind myself something you've said many times uh, over the years, uh, and that is that at first you were sorry that you didn't get started on this process years earlier, uh, and then we both acknowledge that you couldn't have, you wouldn't have been ready, it wouldn't have been the right time, and so the fact that um, it happened when it happened, as it as it must, must. <laughs> that's an expression from uh, from Art Green. Or was it Jay Michelson? Jay, Jay it was Jay Michelson. Yeah. Uh, everything happens not as it should. It happens as it must. So here we are. We find ourselves at this stage in our journey, and so does everybody else listening to this. You are where you are, and it must be this way. Well, I think I will simply begin to wrap this up with one more observation where the Rabbi Yerachmiel, who's really the voice of Rabbi Shapiro, um, is 
imagining a day, you know, a hundred years henceforth or more than that now, uh, where people are starting to ask the questions uh, that are not being asked in his day. And I would like to think that Rami Shapiro understood that a book like this is necessary because today it is time for us to be asking these questions. Do you think that's Shapiro? Fearing what might come with this tradition? However you come to it, however you learned it, will somehow disappear? I think it's more than that. I think that he, I think in 2004 when he published the book, he saw that it was already there. I think he, he's identifying his experience of Jewish communities, of people who are not asking the questions, like the simple child of the Haggadah, like he mentions, and far more people who are not even sitting there and who certainly are not asking the questions. Uh, or who are asking the questions, but outside the context of our tradition. And so, like Rami, I believe that our Jewish tradition has a lot to say to those questions. I think it's a value add when we can utilize our our Jewish community to help us with with wrestling with those. And so, uh, I think at this point, I'm simply going to turn back to our listeners and say that I'm really glad that you've spent this time with us. I want to thank Grant Callen for spending uh, time with me, not just today, but all the years leading up to today and all the years, God willing, that we get to spend learning together in the future. On the website, you can click below for a transcript of today's conversation, and you'll also find links to the materials that we've discussed. Each week as I wrap up the episode, I will send you off with something to think about so that your time with us next week can be built upon something that you've already been working on. Your homework to ponder is... What is Judaism? What is Judaism? And I don't want you to let yourself off the hook too easily by simply saying it's a religion or a culture or a race. I want you to think with more nuance. Challenge yourself. What is Judaism? If you enjoyed this and you want to be notified of new episodes as they come out, you can click on the subscribe button and be sure to share this idea with someone that you know who you think will enjoy exploring spirituality too. We will see you again next week. And until then, all you heretics out there, stand proud. Stand proud.